It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <clears throat> This is Rich Sparago with the 20th episode of a Metzian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. And, of course, I'm not going to make a go of it alone. Um, I have the other two guys, Sam and Mike, on the line. So we're excited to bring you the 20th episode of the podcast, of the Metzian podcast. And I'm going to jump right in here by introducing my colleagues and uh, my, my co-conspirators on this podcast. Let me start with Mr. Sam Maxwell. So, Sam, how are you doing this evening? Well, I am uh, doing well. I am coming across the Lincoln Tunnel, past the embroidery capital of the world since 1872, North Jersey. Uh, I've always loved this sign. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about out there, the approach in the Lincoln Tunnel, there's a sign that says, Welcome to North Jersey, the embroidery capital of the world since 1872. I'm happy to be home, guys. I, uh, you know, it was bittersweet being out in Denver for sure. I really enjoyed the time and uh, and uh, space out there. It's really beautiful, but there is something now that I've been driving Lyft in North Jersey this weekend. Uh, there's no place like home, even if it's North Jersey and I'm I'm from Hell's Kitchen. It feels like more my speed right now. Well, there you go. You know, and, and it's always nice to go home again. It's always nice to see other parts of the world like you did um, and live in another part of the world. And you were out there for quite a while, like, you know, like maybe a, a year-ish, right? How long were you out there? Ten months, yeah, close to a year. And uh, it was a lot of fun driving around. I went up and down and left and right into the mountains and out onto the valley. It was uh, really spectacular, but I'll tell you, just one weekend of driving in North Jersey as a, a Lyft driver, it feels like in Denver all I did was get my toe wet. There you go. Well, welcome back to New York City traffic, bridges, easy pass lanes, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera. And, um, and so let's go to our, uh, our third co-conspirator on the Metzian podcast, Mr. Mike LeColent. Mike will say hi to you and ask you how you're doing this evening in Brooklyn. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, guilty as charged. I'm doing well here in Brooklyn today. Spent most of my day in Manhattan, actually. Very good. Beautiful late summer day. And, and you know, to that point about uh, a late summer day, let's start talking a little baseball, right? So there's a lot yes, to sir. talk about tonight. Um, and I do think we have to be topical and start with uh, what happened today on the field. We have a lot more to get to. But let's talk about what happened today. So, so today... We had one of those epic pitching matchups, and in fact, um, on both the radio broadcast, which I was listening to early on, and then the TV broadcast, they mentioned the same thing, that the last time 
two pitchers with ERAs like Sale and DeGrom hooked up was in September of 1985 when John Tudor faced Doc Gooden at Shea uh, in the pennant race. And, um, and as I thought about that, I remembered I was at that game. I remember being at that game. And I, then when they were talking about it, I said, yes, Cesar Cedeno. Cesar Cedeno comes as a pinch hitter in the top of the 10th and he had a home run off of Jesse. And the Cardinals ended up winning the game one to nothing. Um, so the last time pitchers with ERAs like DeGroms and Sale got together, it was 33 years ago. So it really was a pitching matchup for the books. Now I'll say a few more things and turn to you guys. So, you know, as I reflect on that game, what I see is it, it was just a microcosm of everything for Jacob DeGrom this year. He draws Chris Sale, okay? He gets the toughest assignment. Er, uh, Friday in Boston, Noah Syndergaard gets the bullpen game. And I was, as I was telling Mike before we, went on, before we went on, in the bullpen game the Red Sox did Friday night, the guy who was supposed to start, whose name escapes me, was actually ill. So a different guy had to start. So Noah draws the bullpen game. Jake draws an epic matchup. The Mets score eight runs for Noah, who is now 12-3. and three. And the Mets, although Jake was not at his best today, the Mets were barely able to get him off the hook for a loss with their, you know, three runs. And Sale only went three innings, by the way, today by, by design. And Jake walks away with yet another no decision. His ERA went up a tick. It's now 178. But, guys, I think there's something cosmic here. You know, this cannot be explained by normal human means, that they can't score for this guy no matter what he does. And as great as he is, there's a way that he doesn't get credit for it. And I, don't, I can't explain it. Mike, I'm going to go to you first. What are your thoughts on this? seen it before, watching baseball for as long as I have, going back to, you know, early, mid-'70s. Uh, seen it before. I've seen many combinations, many pairs, where one pitcher gets all the support, wins 20 games with, like, a 3.75 ERA, and, and the other guy, you know, he posts a two-and-change ERA, and he winds up with a... I don't know, a twelve and seven season. Seen that a lot. Seen it more as a as a child and and as an adolescent than I have in this modern era. Uh, but it's ponderous. And, and you know what? I'll just chalk it up to baseball. That's baseball. And and, and this is what the analytics can't account for. Uh, and that's my position on that. Otherwise, you know, I feel sorry for Degrom. Uh, I really do. Uh, but his season is nevertheless. Historic. We already know that because of the record he set uh, with, with, with the number of games allowing three runs or less. So it, it, it is what it is. Uh, sometimes the numbers just work against you. Uh, but baseball is a very forgiving game. For every time it makes you fail, there's a million chances ahead of you uh, to to redeem yourself. And perhaps this, uh, as you said, one seven eight ERA. Uh, shines a light a lot more brighter than Scherzer's presently does, sitting somewhere in the two point forties. So uh, take it away, Sam. Well, I definitely uh, perked up a little bit when I saw the matchup, and I didn't I didn't even know yet about the the ERA factor. So when I saw Degrom and Sales names next to each other, I was like, Oh my God! Unfortunately, I wasn't really able to pay attention specifically to the game, 
And so I didn't know when Sale was out, when DeGrom was out. It's nice that he only gave up three runs, so he can keep that streak alive uh, in terms of DeGrom. And, you know, it's interesting, though, that obviously once Sale was out, they had a little bit more of a chance. And to the Mets' credit, they gave them they gave him a, a fighting chance. And mind you, it wasn't a no decision. At least it's not a loss, making his record uh, a losing record, which is ridiculous. Which would be even more ridiculous than what it is right now. Um, I'm, you know, I, I for a hot second I thought maybe the Met, like yesterday with Brandon Nimmo, I thought the Mets could keep playing spoilers even for a team that's clinched. Uh, but you know, I I. I think with DeGrom, the biggest issue, I, I, I don't know if it's like, yeah, it might be cosmic partially and, you know, having something to do with how bad the offense has been. But I think historically speaking, you guys generally see uh, uh, aces face each other. And so it's always going to be, with your aces on the mound, you're going to have to take on the best pitcher, one of the other best pitchers in the league. And I think that's one of the reasons why consistently across the board we've seen this with the Mets pitchers is that, you know, it might be a Mets thing too, but I think it's also just like Mike said, it's baseball. Generally the aces are going to face the other aces. That's just the way the cycle goes. So I don't think it's necessarily like this karmic thing or, or this thing that we can't necessarily explain. I think the ace factor explains a hell of a whole of a lot with it. It's just I think the Mets make it even more inept over the course of a whole season. Yeah, you, you know that that makes some sense, Sam. It, it does, and and I think the the part that that gets to me the most though is certain things are not controllable by Degrom. You know, like he he has no control over the fact that Noah always seems to draw, you know, to use a boxing term, the tomato can. And um, and he draws Chris Sale, and I don't know. It, it's just it, it's. I feel sorry for him. I really, really do. And um, but at the same time, you can't. You know, it's baseball. You're right. Like Mike said, we've seen Seaver, Mike. We've seen Seaver in the '70s dominate, and you know, have a 500 season, dominate in terms of you know what he was able to do, and yet the team be unable to score for him. So, um, so I, I get it. I totally get it, and, and it's just it's it's. Dare I say the season somewhat reminds me of Craig Swan? You know, here's a guy who pitched for a losing team. He led the league in ERA, uh, and posted you know a respectable record. I think 14 wins and you know maybe seven losses, if my memory serves me correctly. But it, it kind of reminds me of that, just because of the situation. You have a, a quite the subpar 500 team. You know. Uh, so, in a respect, I'm not comparing the two. There's no comparison between the two. But it reminds me of Craig Swan, in a sense. I remember that. You know, Swan pitched very well. I believe the season was 78. And um, and he was the hard luck guy. You know, so you're right. I mean, it happens. It's not Jake's not the first. But it just seems like, you know, it's time and time again where they score, a you know, a boatload of runs for Vargas or Syndergaard. Um, and yet they can't score for this guy. And, uh, you know, do you think, uh, Sam, do you think that it's gotten in their heads at all? Do you think that they're they're squeezing the bats a little extra hard when Jake's on the mound, or, or you think that that's, that's poppycock? I'm not sure whether it's the Mets, the Wilpons, New York City, or all of the above, but I think 
this team gets into its head way too much. And and I, I think it's the same tabloid reactionary type of pattern that is that has plagued this franchise and plagued many New York City franchises. Um, and as much as the players, you know, like to say they they want, you know they they're just going about their business and they they try to keep the distractions out of there. It's all these factors that we've been talking about with the Will Ponds and, and and the Mets in general that I think sometimes you can't affect certain things the way a culture works, the way a business works, the way the way the clubhouse works. Uh, and so yeah, I I do think sometimes they might be in their heads a little bit too much. Mike, what do you think? You reap what you sow. Uh, I'll expand on what. Sam was getting to, you reap what you sow. You know, the Mets go around collecting other teams, maybe second, but certainly third best guy, fourth best guy, and they bring them here expecting them to be their top tier guys. Look at the heart of our lineup. Except for Cespedes, that is, but, you know, Bruce, I'll bring him up again, I'll bring up Frazier. You know, these were not other teams' top tier talents. They were second in, third in, fourth in but they bring them here to be our upper echelon players. So, you know, and then we have a, a, a totally different class of players, the younger players, who are just trying to make their way. You know, so we have different agendas here. Uh, and, and, well, focus comes from the top. And to, to you know, borrow what, what Sam was alluding to, focus comes from the top. And until they all start singing on the same page of music together, you know, this is what you get, a discombobulated result, you know, uh, two wins here, three losses there, uh, a sub-500 season, uh, goodness to speak of on this day, you know, sadness to speak on speak of uh, on another day, inconsistency. You know, we're just painting it with different, with different colors, that's all, uh, different adjectives, different days. Uh, it's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. So until they act with conviction and get this pointed in a direction, not various directions, but when they focus on one direction, a lot of this will change. Could be. You know, th- let's face it. You know, they haven't exactly surrounded DeGrom with the best team in, in baseball. We know that. Uh, you're right. You know, and the team that they put out there today, you know, I consider the team they put out there today minus Espedes to be major league average. I really do. I don't think it's horrible. I think it's basically eh. It's meh. And with great pitching, you can win some games. They have been winning games. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you're right. I mean, what can you realistically expect when you're stocking the team and you're building the team, you know, with a lot of second-tier guys, which which is unfortunately where they are. So, guys, I'm going to ask you a favor here. I'm going to ask you to take your Mets fans' hats off. I'm going to run some numbers by you and just react to them as, you know, completely objectively. You're not you're not Mets fans for the next five minutes. So, Jacob DeGrom is 8-9 and nine with a 1-7-8 ERA, okay? Um, all right, so let's keep that in the bank. Max Scherzer is 17 and 7 with a 253. So he's basically 3 quarters of the way um he's basically 3 quarters of a run more than DeGrom. So at the moment I'm trying to pull up the Philadelphia Phillies and I will get you Aaron Nola statistics in just a moment as soon as that loads. So 
Nola, his statistics are 16 and 5, 242. So he's about he is six tenths of a run of a run worse than ERA. Yet he's 16 and 5. Scherzer we heard was 17 and 7, and uh, with an ERA about three quarters of a run higher than Degrom. So with that said, and, and and also Degrom has fewer strikeouts than both those guys. Uh, not by much, but he has. Well, actually, no, he has he has fewer strikeouts than Scherzer, but a couple more than, than Nola. So, objectively speaking, guys, can you give Degrom to Cy Young? Sam, you first. Whew. It, uh, it's a tough one because, I mean, I'm taking my Mets cap off here. Still, without the Mets cap, I want to argue against wins and losses. In this day and age, I just don't think the the the. I think it's really the more I speak about it, considering that these pitchers come out in the sixth or seventh, which naturally the game's not always going to be played out properly yet in terms of wins and losses. And so if you're setting them up to come out in the sixth or seventh, it's by definition going to not matter as much. Seaver, Kuzman, all these guys were getting into the eighth and ninth, giving their giving their, their team the chance to score that one run. And we don't do that anymore. We take them out with at six and two-thirds with the game still tied. Immediately, like, the manager takes them out of a decision. So I, I think that the win-loss record does not matter to a pitcher's, uh, to what a pitcher's value is as much. And when I hear it, all the numbers you just mentioned, the, I know that the, like, even though the Nationals aren't all that good either, they still have given him a better chance at a, win-loss, at a proper win-loss record. The Mets have not given DeGrom a good chance in the win-loss record. So you've got to go with who is the best pitcher in the league and who gives you the most chance to win. Who gives you the most chance to get that pitcher some runs? And you've got to still go to Grom, regardless of whether the Mets have been getting them. All right. I like it, and I'll, I'm going to take it on faith that you had your Mets, Mets hat off. So, Mike, your Mets hat is now in your closet. What does Mike LeColent, completely, completely neutral man from Brooklyn, say about the Cy Young race? He says, go, Sam, go. Uh, look, Jack Morris finally gets into the Hall of Fame. For long, they held his 3.90 career ERA against him. Uh, and here's a perfect example of, uh, of a guy who gets or who got plenty of run uh, support over his career. Uh, he's finally in the Hall of Fame because he was just a bulldog. And in the big game, you know, you wanted him on the mound. All right, let's get back to the Grom in this chase for the Cy Young. The Cy Young Award is for the best pitcher, period. It's not an MVP award. Uh, and, and it's not even, you know, player of the year type stuff. This is for flat out the best pitcher in either league. Pitchers have one most valuable players, but, you know, that's a horse of another garage. So we have to narrow this conversation down to who is the best pitcher in the National League. 
And if you take wins and losses aside, you have to, you know, look and compare and contrast all the other numbers. You know, hits averaged out over nine innings, walks averaged out over nine innings, strikeouts averaged out over nine innings. Perhaps you want to bring FIP into this. Obviously, whip uh, an ERA, and you know across the board, who is the more efficient, or who has been the more efficient pitcher this season? And I think that's where people get lost in a debate. What exactly is the Cy Young Award? And it's for the best pitcher, not what given pitcher meant to his team that, you know, they would have sunk or failed with or without him. And It's not about that argument. It's about who is the best pitcher, period, with no qualifiers. There's a different argue, argument to be made for the most valuable player. There's no such thing as a most valuable pitcher. Perhaps there should be in the future. You know, and add another award to this scenario. But in the meantime, the argument, the debate is on who is the best at his craft this season in the National League. And when you lump it all together, I think the Grum has an edge. I'm not quite sure how, you know, large of an edge, how wide, but an edge nonetheless. The question is, will they hold his wins-loss record against him and and place more value uh, on, on 17 wins? I don't know, but neither team uh, played spectacularly this season. So neither team, you know, per se, help them win anything. So both put forth individual efforts if if you want to go there. And in the end, I think the Groms is better. Obviously, there's still a few more starts to go, but we're there. We're, you know, we're in the home stretch. And, and we have a five months, five and a half months, you know, worth of statistics and observations to deal with and I think I, I can safely say that unless something radical happens like I say a no hitter another one by Scherzer or one by DeGrom uh, I, something dramatic has to lean me the other way you know it's almost like you could make an argument for any one of the three of them right because, like Mickey Calloway says, run prevention is a pitcher's job. And DeGrom has prevented runs better than anybody else. Hence his 1.780 RA, which is, by, you could say, far superior to the others. Okay. Then you've got a balanced ticket. You know, you've got Scherzer, who's got a lot of wins, more strikeouts. You know, he's doing a lot of different things. More innings pitched for Scherzer, too. So, you know, Scherzer has done a lot of stuff. And then you've got Nola, who's on the best team of the three. 
and, you know, has solid numbers as well, 16 and 6, but his team is the best. So you can make an argument that, you know, he, he's contributing to a winning cause if that's something you want to do. Um, so, all right, anyway, we, we can move off to Grom. It was a great discussion. I really appreciate it. So, so wait, moving wait, on. Wait, to- wait uh, Rich, Rich, real quick. I, I, just, I just wanted to rant real quick about uh, so-called sports experts. Um, you know, I know that, like, even in an in a industry where people are getting paid to, to talk about sports, there's going to be different opinions. It's not, these aren't facts that we're dealing with here. I get it. But what I don't understand is how anybody could consider uh, uh, the idea of not looking at wins and losses anymore as negating winning. That you're, that, it, it, and that's where I don't understand how, how there's mindsets out there that don't get that DeGrom doesn't factor into those, that win-loss record at all with such a low ERA. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Why they would they they would think that not looking at the win loss record is negating winning? It just it doesn't make any sense to me why why they would consider it like that. And, and you know, I I just I think that we I think that we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Honestly, considering that a few years ago it was a major deal that R. A. Dickey that R.A. Dickey was, was uh, sorry, R.A. Dickey was getting 20 wins. That was a big deal to us, and that was a big deal to the whole league. And um, it's a symbolic thing. I get that. You know, but that it, it, it's a rare thing to see happen right now because wins and losses, like I said, starting pitchers don't get those wins and losses as much when they're getting taken out of the sixth or seventh inning. Um but but like I understand, like we're all a bunch of hypocrites because we did prop up that twenty and six record as we should have. But in in all honesty, like Mike said, who was the best pitcher this year? That year, twenty wins or not, R. A. Dickey was definitely the best pitcher in the league then. Who's the best pitcher now? I'm pretty sure it's Degrom. And putting my mat my Mets hat back on, I would like to say that I think Max Scherzer is way too homer-prone happy. You are so freaking right about that R.A. Dickey comparison. You are so friggin' right. Jeez, it never occurred to me. Excellent, Sam. Good Good stuff, guys. How quickly attitude change as well. Good stuff. All right. So... Moving away from DeGrom, which, you know, obviously this is a debate that no matter what happens, you're going to have a lot of people talking about this in the offseason. You know, people will say, if DeGrom gets it, which I don't think he will. I think he deserves it, yes, but I don't think he will. I don't think we're evolved enough as a fandom and as a sports writerdom to look past the wins and losses. People could say they are, but they're not. I don't think, any, I don't think we've made that, that quantum leap yet. Factually, yes, you're right, but I just don't think we're there, but we'll see. Um, so anyway, um, so moving off of DeGrom and to the Mets a little bit as a team, you know, just a few numbers to run by you here. In the second half of the season, the Mets are 30 and 25, okay, which is pretty good, you know, and that's coming off of a first half 
in which they were 39 and 55. So clearly things are trending upward. Um, by month, they were 12 and 12 in July, 15 and 15 in August, and are 10 and 5 so far in September. So, you know, you know things have gotten better, and I think those things have gotten better because of Syndergaard to a degree having him healthy, um, but I think it comes down to two players mostly, and I'll get, let you guys comment on it. I think it comes down to the reemergence of Michael Conforto, who is once again a force in the lineup, and the emergence of Ahmed Rosario, who is probably 75% of what we thought he would be at this point, which we thought he was a superstar. Right? He was sold that way. And he's probably 75% there. You know, he's got work to do, but he's, he's using his speed. His defense is really good, occasional last, really good. Um, so I think that the Mets' resurgence is really Cindergard to some degree, having him healthy. But also, I think it's really Conforto and, um, Conforto and Rosario. So, Mike, when you watch the Mets, which, you know, I, I know some people say, oh, they should tank. You know, I hate that kind of – I hate that talk. You play to win the game. I know that's a commercial, but you play to win the game. The Mets are winning games, which is what they're paid to do. And so, Mike, what, what do you, why do you think they're playing better in the second half? I agree with everything you said. Uh, I will also point that two-thirds of the middle of their lineup is backed, Bruce and Frazier. And, you know, they offer protection in the lineup to guys like Ahmed Rosario and Conforto. Uh, but certainly, uh, with their return, you saw the upturn in play, or I should say offensive production, excuse me. Uh, but I would say, in addition to what you said, the return of these two players has also, you know, gotten the Mets on an uptick. For as, much as, I like to, for as much as I like to poo-poo all over them, I still got to give them credit for that. I agree. And, Sam, before I go to you, you know, I, was, I had some people over to watch the game Friday night, and I was talking about it's really easy. Look, look at the way the Marlins look this week. They look like they didn't want to be there. They played terrible baseball. It was almost embarrassing. I felt bad for them. Mets haven't done that. The Mets could have easily folded their tents and played lousy baseball and, you know, and, and been – a disaster and a disgrace in the last couple of weeks, but they haven't. They're 10 and five in September. They're playing good fundamental, and it's not smoke and mirrors. They're playing good fundamental baseball. They're pitching, they're hitting, they're playing good defense, doing all those things. So, um, so I give them credit, give the Mets credit for that. And um, all right. So Sam, your thoughts on why the Mets are playing better. Well, not to take anything away from Noah Syndergaard, but, I, I think that this, has been, this resurgence has been recent. If you remember correctly, we were giving him absolute uh, uh, crap a, a few weeks ago about his, his lack of uh, – his, his lack – oh, God, how did I just lose the word? But, you know, he, he doesn't get deep into games. Um, and, longevity uh, in a game, yeah. Longevity, thank you, thank you. So, you know, he doesn't get deep into games. We were giving him shit, and how he responded literally that weekend with his first ever complete game. And as since, basically, I, I, I'm not sure if he's given up any earned runs, but he's been absolutely spectacular. And, the like, you know, he's seeing all the – we were talking about how he might be buying into the hype uh, too much like Matt Harvey did. And I'm not sure if he listens or not, but maybe, you know, he was tired of DeGrom getting all the crap. He was tired of getting caught up with, you know, 
the, the New York party scene instead of the pitching that uh, he needs to get back uh, under control since he's been injured so much this year. I think Syndergaard was just like, he made that comment, I haven't been a pitcher. I, I've, you know, and, and since then, he hasn't been darting it as much. I know this is a little bit of a tangent from, from what we were talking about, what you asked, but, but he hasn't been darting it as much. He's actually looked substantially more uh, uh, poised, and, and his stuff has been substantially tighter. And, um, and that's only over the, the last few weeks, which has been outstanding and glad to see, number one. Number two, um, you know, I mentioned Austin Jackson. He's obviously died down a little bit with his hitting lately. Um, but, oh, shit. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm trying to find a parking spot, and, of course, it's a hydrant. Uh, <laughs> Austin Jackson, <laughs> I, did, I did give credit to Austin Jackson for a while about it, but uh, then he, he kind of died down. But, you know, I think the veteran presence probably helps. We saw the clubhouse fall apart last year without any veteran presence. So that uh, Austin Jackson certainly should get some credit for that. Uh, on top of the fact that he's been a pretty solid hitter, and uh, Michael, yes, yeah, no, but you're absolutely right. Michael Conforto has resurged, but the sleeper resurgence of the second half is Todd Frazier. I mean, the guy's closing in on 20 home runs. Uh, I know that we all knew his average was going to be down, but he he's like he's hitting a home run every game. Any game that that we see the Mets win lately, Todd Frazier has been doing something on the offensive side of things. And so they've helped – those two players have seriously helped uh, make the loss of Johanna Cespedes not as glaring as it usually is. And that has been nice. It's been real nice to see the, the lineup clicking without Johanna Cespedes because at this point we need to think about the lineup as much without Johanna Cespedes over the next few years as possible because there's a possibility that these injuries – are not going anywhere. So, yeah, I guess that that's my rant about it, about the uh, the second half regarding it. I think it's uh, lately Syndergaard's been, been better. I think generally the pitching's been better. So I would call it the pitching, Michael Conforto, and and you know what? Let's talk about this. Mickey Calloway, I haven't been able to analyze it all that much, as much as I'd like to, but Mickey Calloway's probably been substantially better. What do you guys think about that? And I'll bounce it back to you, Rich. I think he has been, uh, you know, I, and I think if you if you really stop and, and reflect on it, not a National League guy, you know, we talked about that, doesn't have a National League guy sitting next to him on the bench, had to figure it out. Um, he's still much more comfortable talking about pitching and dealing with pitching than he is on the offensive side, but he's growing into the role. So I think he has been better, you know, and I think he, he's more comfortable with the guys he has. And to a degree, you know, you know, you, you could you could take the Whitey Herzog approach that I can't win a game as a manager, but I could certainly lose him. Um, you know, you could take that approach or whatever. But I think to whatever degree Mickey has an influence on the game, he's gotten better at it. Yeah, I would agree. Mike, what do you think? He's also more comfortable in his own skin. You could see he seems a little bit more comfortable with the media. Uh, seems a little bit more natural in his responses. Uh, but he still needs a the National League mind somewhere in their dugout. I agree. I agree on the Mickey thing. So, guys, I want to get you – you know, we talked a little about Todd Frazier, and, and Sam, thanks for the softball here, because I did want to get to Todd Frazier. Um, not, now we're moving to the off-the-field stuff. 
So <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we all know Frazier reached into the crowd and made a great catch, but it turned out he didn't make a great catch. He took a like a, a foam ball from a kid and held it up. I caught it, and then the umpire called the batter out. Frazier throws the ball back in the stands because he felt that if he threw the ball to the pitcher, I think it was DeGrom actually, that DeGrom would look like, what are you doing? And then the umpires would realize it. So he throws the ball back in the stands. And then, shockingly to me, the next night he talks about kind of proudly of how he duped the umpires. And, well, so we have the same Todd Frazier here who earlier in the season said that umpires have no accountability and they need to be accountable when he was upset about some some balls and strike calls. So then he hits a walk-off home run, to your point, Sam. It's a walk-off home run Thursday in the first game of the doubleheader goes to step on the plate, and lo and behold, Tom Hallian, the, the uh, Ask the Jackpot guy, he's standing on home plate and makes Frazier stop and sort of like gently move his foot to where a little part of the plate where he could actually touch touch the plate with his foot. So Hallian was clearly making a statement, you know, we're, we've had enough of you, dude. Um, so I want you guys to reflect on that with me. I mean, it's a two-part question, Sam. I'll go to you first. Was Frazier out of line admitting he duped the umpires, and was Howley out of line for what he did? Go ahead. Well, you know, having your cake and eating it too, right? Um, I think that you can't you can't be talking about accountability and then uh, not be accountable yourself. So, so there is that, and uh, I I don't think it's I don't know know if it's necessarily the right thing because you want to get win the game the right way, regardless of whether. Uh, Regardless of, of like the uh, you know it, I guess it goes back to the old uh, the old question uh, with you know is it sportsmanship you know just trying to get the edge any possible way you can or uh, is it is it the wrong thing to do um, I I think for one I was when I, when I saw the the clip of the walk off I was thinking to myself what's going on with that umpire so I appreciate you guys kind of bringing me up to speed regarding the relationship of Todd Frazier and umpires right now. No, I, I, I think that the I agree with him that the umpires have completely gone chaotic when it comes to whether or not they're accountable. Uh, but you, you you have to play the games within the, the right rules, um, you know. And, and, and at that point, I mean, there's really nothing you could do to, to make it look like so so sorry, really real quickly, was it called and out and then it turned out not to be? Or did the, On the umpire pop-up? catch catch yeah, well did did the umpire catch it or was it no. considered an out on the on record? No, it was an out on record. Frazier admitted it the next day. Oh jeez. Well, yeah, no, I, I don't think that's the right way to play the game. I agree, and I think if, you know. Look, if you dupe the umpire and and you don't admit it, you don't you don't come out and talk about it because now you got your out. Okay, fine. Everything's made a great catch. You duped everybody. You giggle. You tell your wife about it in the off seat or whatever. But you don't come out and publicly humiliate the umpires. I mean, it's just it was like I, when he because um, Gelb's had it that during the next game, Gelb's like, well, you know, everybody thought Frazier made a great catch, but it's like Todd, shut up already. You know what I mean? It, don't don't embarrass people. You, you, nobody wins in that regard. So, so Mike, what do you think about that? He should have kept it to himself. Certainly. Uh, 
Otherwise, you know, it would have been a nice anecdote during the off season. Uh, but he should have kept that to himself if he was going to go ahead and indeed follow through as he did. Uh, I'm not so sure any other player would have said, hey, um, no, that's that's not the real ball. I, I didn't catch it. Come on. How many players would have actually admitted it? Uh, I, I question that. But nevertheless, he should have kept his mouth shut. Uh, he got away with it. And the fact that the umpires didn't catch it, well, shame on them. And I didn't see any protests from the uh, opposing dugout either. So it would have flew. Uh, I, I just think it's funny, in a sense. Again, that's baseball. And if we're talking about another era, that would have been one of the biggest highlights on this week in baseball. You know, back in the 80s. Uh, everyone would have been laughing about it. Today, who knows? Uh funny, but uh, umpires, look, I, I don't think they should ever become bit players on, on a baseball stage. I really don't, uh, and, and yet they seem to do it more and more. I don't think they should be playing active uh, roles in any kind of drama, uh, such as standing on home plate, you know, waiting for, for, for Todd Frazier to approach and, and, and see how he was going to negotiate that. Uh, I thought that was totally uncalled for, but at the same time, you know, hitters in the batter's box are giving them hell. And after every at bat, if, if they don't like what transpired, they're telling the umpires to their faces, you know, you're going to be the reason why they implement electronic strike zones. You know, so as an umpire, you don't want to hear that either. And I believe you me, players are getting out of line. Uh, and it's become a... Uh, somewhat of a, con- uh, a contentious relationship. Uh, but that's aside from what Frazier did, which I thought the, the, the moment should have been more embraced than, you know, uh, what, politicized or criminalized? <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, uh, uh, look, we've all done stuff like that maybe. You know, you're playing basketball, you foul the guy, and, you know, the, the referee didn't see it. You don't say anything, right? You're just, okay, I got away with it, fine. Frazier got away with something. But, you're, but Mike, I think you, you hit on a really good point. It's symbolic of the deteriora- deteriorating relationship between players and umpires. You see it now um, where umpires are more bold, you know, that they don't mind getting a player's face. And players are, are coming out after the games and saying umpires aren't accountable. I mean, you've never seen that before. It's becoming very acrimonious. And I think that that's a that's an exact example of the acrimony between players and umpires. And and I don't know. I, I think Frazier has to be better than that. I think he has to not do that. And it sounds like you guys would agree. Um, so I want to do kind of like a lightning round. We're down to about 15, 15 minutes left. And just get your quick thoughts on a couple things. So I, catcher, just um, in terms of off-season moves, so the Mets have Kev- – I, I think Mesoraco will probably not be here next year, but Kevin Ploiecki – is right now batting 227, right, um, with a couple of home runs, uh, six home runs, 27 RBI. Defense is, I don't know, average. Um, do you think catching is a, is a position to prioritize in the offseason? Sam, I'll go to you first. Or do you think they can make a go of it with some combination of Nito, Ploiecki, and Mesoraco? We talk about this every year, don't we? I think mm-hmm. if, if 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 it's there for the taking, prioritize it. I I think we this whole idea of putting the combination together 
you know, what, where we keep waiting for this to be the perfect catcher and, and, you know, the combination of it. And for a hot second, we thought we might have it at the end of last year, but it, here we go again. Yeah, I, I think that if, if the players are out there and, um, and and you think you can make the deal with that, with, with, uh, you know, they, they really, looking back on it, Luke Roy would have been such a great addition a few years ago at the deadline. But what are you going to do? Make, the deal, make a move if the catcher is there for us. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Look, if you want to contend next year, and certainly we've heard plenty about how they they want to contend next year, and I think they can. Um, I don't think you're contending with Nito and Ploiecki. I, I don't. I mean, Ploiecki is getting marginally better, basically all around, but nothing nothing exponentially better to make me say I want him around. Mike, what do you think? There's no superstar catchers out there. Perhaps Miami has one that people would like to have. But at the very least, this off season, you know, scour the four corners of of, of the earth for a worthwhile a worthwhile receiver. I need a defensive specialist back there. At the very least, if you're not going to prioritize the position uh, and, and, and seek a, a major offensive upgrade, at the very least, I need a defensive specialist. Somebody the pitcher is going to have confidence in. Somebody who's going to block, you know, pitches in the dirt. Somebody with a, a, an arm. Just a good behind-the-plate receiver. That's what my priority is heading into the offseason. I don't know what the new executive might have in mind, but at the very least, you know, I, I don't care if he only bats a buck eighty. Really, I don't care if you give me a defensive specialist. That makes sense. Um and I, I do think, yeah, they need to upgrade the position, whether it's defense or, or all around, of course, would be bet, you know, optimal. But, if, if look, if you're going to build your, your plans around pitching, which certainly they are, you need a, def- you need a great defensive catcher. You need somebody, if, if that person gives you some offense, that's a cherry on the Sunday. But I don't think they have it in-house right now. I do think they have to look for it. Um, sounds like you guys agree. All right, so next thing on the lightning round. Um, Mets made some other news this week. Uh, you know, David Wright basically announced that he will likely retire. So he will be activated um, late September and maybe pinch it a few times, then start one more game on the 29th, which I fortunately have tickets for as part of my ticket plan, so I'm kind of pumped about that. So David Wright will, will play that one more game, and I guess rumor is that Reyes will play to his left at shortstop. So uh, there's that. And then also Jay Horwitz moving to an alumni relations position with the Mets, which is something that is huge to me because we've complained for years about how the Mets don't acknowledge their history. And I think by taking someone and saying, you're now the the alumni relations person, that shows that they're committed to having a better relationship with their alumni, which is quantum leaps forward in my opinion. So, Mike, I'll go to you. I know you're passionate about, well, definitely about the alumni relations topic, but talk to me about David Wright, how the Mets are handling it, and also the alumni relations position. With regard to David Wright, I think everything went well. Uh, I think the Mets are acting uh, accordingly and respectfully. Jeff didn't have to bring up the insurance. That's my only knock and perhaps... Uh, somewhat petty at this point. Otherwise, I think the Mets are handling, handling this correctly. 
think David Wright is making the right decision and giving him one last opportunity uh, to play at City Field in front of a home crowd, an enduring home crowd, uh, is right. And and, and and what's the word I'm trying to use? It's not something that is being shoehorned in, in, into the schedule. You know, he, he's able to give us this one game and, and play well. It's just that his career is in question. So for one day, sure, he's very capable of playing excellently, like the David Wright of old. Uh, so it, it's not something that they're they're artificially fabricating for any, any anybody's benefit. Really, I think this is a very uh, very natural ending. Uh, to, to to the David Wright story as a player, certainly not as a person and perhaps a continuing uh, member of the organization in one capacity or another, which leads us to Jay Horowitz and his appointment uh, to VP of this Alumni Association, which, Rich, you stole the words right out of my mouth. This is uh, just a, a, a tremendously uh, awesome move on on behalf of the Wilpons. Uh, maybe they did have a moment where they said, you know what, we're doing a bad job of this and, and we need to correct it. We, we've heard the fans speak. Uh, we haven't, we, we don't know what to do about it. We, we obviously failed at this. So let's put it into the hands of somebody who can perhaps right this wrong uh, and get this headed in the direction it needs to be. Uh, the epic failure was indeed City Field and making the exterior of it look like Ebbets Field. He slapped those blueprints on his architectural uh, staff's desk and said, this is what I want. Uh, and he even fessed up to that in, in that you know famous New Yorker article. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but the Mets Hall of Fame, to me, uh, is inferior. It's lacking. Uh and it's just epically small and underwhelming as something that's supposed to be representative of a, a a New York National League entity, which has, you know, just a history that goes back to as early as the 1830s, 40s. Uh, so I'm hoping that Jay Horowitz, you know, really grabs this by the horns and, and and really uh, gets this done and done right. I'm not looking for anything hasty. Uh, take your time, but perhaps our or my prize for uh, a statue honoring and commemorating Joan Payson might finally, you know, get on the drawing board as well as for other players and 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 finally perhaps consideration for numbers. Is on the table as well, and other things. And but most of all, it'll be nice to see former players back at City Field on a regular, just to say hello and throw out an opening pitch. Because I, I I've spoken long enough, but it's so easy to get off on, on a tangent on how the how awful the Wilpons have been at all this all. So touche to them, congratulations to them. This move is genius, genius, genius. Thank you. Thank you. I, want, I, I also wanted to know that. Thank you. Ditto. 
uh, to what you just said. Sam, your thoughts on David Wright, how it was handled, and Jay Horowitz taking the role of alumni relations. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with Jay Horowitz here because, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that he's evolved into uh, perfect for this job. But I also heard that, that the, especially the 1980s players, used to really kind of, and maybe it was just because of the culture of the time, but they used to kind of make fun of Jay. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, you know, I, 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 I've heard all these other things of, you know, the what they thought about him, so I was kind of actually taken aback by him specifically becoming that part of the role. But, you know, this, this is going all the way back to when Jay was first starting out. And... You know, if there was ever any doubt uh, as to the kind of the kind of uh, job he can do, he's obviously uh, shown exactly the kind of he can do, the kind of job he can do tenfold over the uh, the last thirty years. And I, and regardless of whatever Jay can specifically do, I think you guys hit the nail on the head when it comes when it comes to what it means about the Wilpons. That maybe you know, for as much as we've been bashing them. Maybe we do finally have a, a change of tune on this podcast, and we're going to be actually praising them a little bit more. Now, now, you know, that's that's obviously still, you know, we're, we're going to have to see what's what regarding that. Um, but it is a good first step, and and you know, maybe maybe at some point, basically, ever since we really hit it home with the Will Pond. Things have been looking looking up a little bit with the way their decisions have been going. So maybe maybe there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And with David Wright, for all those people who have been just telling him to retire already, I think his press conference says it all about how hard of a decision that actually is. And I used to hate on David Wright. And maybe it was the fact that I got to watch him so much. Really, really terrible, terrible years. But David Wright is a Hall of Famer and would have been a Hall of Famer had it not been for these injuries. His numbers were on the way, and you could just tell when watching him that this guy was a step above everybody else. He is one of the greatest third baseman, I would say, of all time, and unfortunately, he his numbers will not show it on the record book, but it's it's very similar to the way John Manningly, uh, with the same injury, the way his career ended, uh, was he only got about 12 years in, and normally at this point, you know, with, with, uh, with Hall of Fame players, you're looking to see what they can do over the course of 20 years because that's usually the way you can collect those 3,000 hits in the 500 homers. I I um, am saddened that we will not get to see David Wright at his best ever again. Um, I'm happy that we got to see what we did of David Wright for a World Series run. And... And, and I always go back to a home run he hit in 2016, obviously one of the last home runs, maybe the last home run he hit sometime in May. Um, and maybe we'll get one more. You know, knowing David, the way David has, like, we, we always doubt David. And then he comes back from a pinky injury and hits a home run on the first pitch. 
He, we doubt that David can ever play baseball again with his back. And he comes back and hits a home run in Philadelphia in the, the uh, first game back. Uh, start, basically starting a historic night of home runs that evening in Philadelphia and making the score 3-1, to one, getting, getting us uh, a little less depressed after DeGrom gave up uh, some three runs in the first inning. So when it comes to David Wright, I'm, I'm happy that I finally came around to the, before his retirement that he's one of the best ball players I've ever been able to watch. Great. No, I, I agree, Sam. I mean, he, he has been, and, and I think he'll go out with class and dignity. I think you have to give credit where it's due. A lot of us have taken shots at the Wilpons for various reasons, but I think they're handling it right, uh, no pun intended. And I also think the Jay Horwitz thing, on, right on top of that, is they've done they've done two very good things this week, and you know you you have to give credit where it's due, and I, and I think it's um, one thing is sort of a sad thing being handled well. The other thing is sort of you know we've been knocking on your door to talk about this for how long now, and and you got it right. Okay, great, you you got it. So so we're going to enjoy this. Hopefully they'll have better relations with people like Seaver and. Um, you know, even Nolan Ryan to a degree, and, and you'll start to see these guys more and more around the ballpark, uh, not just a select few who show up all the time like Jesse Orozco, but you'll start to see these guys more and more often at City Field, and uh, and I think it, it's fantastic. It, it, it's good for the organization, both of these things. So, unfortunately with David Wright, you know, that's news. I don't think that was unexpected, but it's it's sad news nonetheless. So, in but I think the Mets had an overall good week as an organization. I really do. The way they handled that and the alumni relations. Okay, guys, we're short on time. 20th episode, um, baseball 1920 in New York. Have at it. Michael, what would you like to tell us about the status of baseball in New York in 1920? Sam, let's debate this real quick. Which is the biggest story? Because 1920 is huge. The Dodgers lose the World Series to the Indians. And Babe Ruth is a Yankee. And the whole dynamic between McGraw and the Yankees, the Yankees drew $1.2 million to the polo grounds. The Giants only drew uh, 929000 Could you imagine his fury with the Yankees? Which is the, which is the biggest story? You pick one, I'll pick up on the other. Uh, I mean, for baseball, I will take my Dodger cap off. It's definitely Babe Ruth. It changed the way... The entire game is played. It changed the, 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 the trajectory of the history of the sport in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, but we do know that Ruth did that. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that Ruth ended up being photographed and donned every single uh, original New York team. He was pictured randomly in a giant hat, a uh, giant uniform, uh, he was a coach for the Dodgers and, of course, the Yankees. So um, when it comes to 1920, though, you gotta you got to wonder, are they the best pre-Boys of Summer Dodgers team, uh, 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 Mike? Hard to say. Hard to say. Uh, what Cleveland did to them in this series, I mean, Dodgers go into the series with, future Hall of Famers, Burley Grimes and Rube McCart, uh, and they're just way outdone by Stan Kovaleski. 
Uh, Grimes goes 1-2 and two in the series. McCarr can't even win the game. Kovalevsky goes 3-0 in the series. So, you know, no, they're not because a lot of the, you know, there's something to be said for the Zach Wheats of the of this era and whatnot, Chris Speaker uh, for the Indians, but those names resonate, you know, the boys of summer, those names resonate so well uh, that, you know, just everything else prior to that gets lost. So I dare not compare the two eras. Uh, I will just, you know, speak for 1920 on its own behalf. And, again, I'll point back to uh, Charles Ebbets joining forces with the McKeever brothers and, and their injection uh, of capital into the organization that essentially led up to the season. You know, they had success a couple of years prior to this, but, again, their injection of capital is, is what's leading up, you know, to this particular uh, pennant and, and future success to come. But Babe Ruth, Rich, let me throw this at you. Babe Ruth, the Yankees decide, all right, you're a Yankee now, your, your pitching career is over. He only pitches one one game for the Yankees. Babe Ruth hits 54 home runs and drives in 135 runs. Here's his slash, and, and this is just utter nonsense. 376 batting average, 532 on base percentage, 847 slugging. How do you like them apples? <laughs> Imagine I mean, the money I mean, before, he makes. Rich, Rich, before you go to that, like you know, we 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 claim steroids every time we see a player go from this to that. Can you imagine what people were thinking when they were witnessing Babe Ruth do that? Nineteen twenty. Think about it. What do you think of those numbers, Rich? 847 slugging, 532 on base percentage. So his OPS is like 1.4, which is <laughs> an OPS of like 800 or 900 is great. 1.4, can you imagine? I mean, it's it's just it's mind blowing because I think he broke the record that was 29. Uh, he, he, well, he broke his own record. Uh, Rich, his OPS was 1.379. Yeah. Ridiculous. But, uh, but going back to this era, I, I love, I love this, this, uh, this Hatfield-McCoy relationship brewing between the Giants and Yankees. Again, the Yankees drew 1.2 million. Uh, that's a staggering number for that era, for the dead ball era. Now, the, the now dead, huh? Put that in quotes, dead ball era. Sam. No, it's it's uh it's game changing is which is why it has to be on top of the Dodgers, the bigger story of course. Um I oh, hold on, sorry. I have to uh just pay a little bit more attention. Sorry. Mike, take it away. <laughs> yeah, no, Rich, good. Let's continue on and uh, let's get to the Mets numbers. What do you say? Yeah, let's do the Mets numbers because we're, you know, like I said, this will be our last thing before the last word. So, um, so given the Mets numbers and given that we, that we are uh, a little bit over time, why don't we just focus on 
a couple, like one or two comments each uh, on Mets who have worn number twenty. So if may people I, may have, I, may, uh, I just mention, may I just mention that I do not have the list in front of me, so I'm going to let you guys lead with this one, okay? All right, I'll give you a couple of guys from the current era, Sam, that that you can go to because obviously it's not fair to ask you to comment on guys from our era. So, Mike, when I see this, <laughs> I, I think about um, I think about Tommy Agee. Right, of course. He's number 20 to me. He will always be number 20 to me. Um, and when we think about Tommy Agee, we think about somebody who, um, you know, made those great catches in the 1969 World Series, center fielder with good speed and tremendous power, probably would not profile as a leadoff hitter in today's game because he did strike out a lot. But Tommy Agee, you know, died way too soon. I believe he was living in Queens when he died, actually, originally from Alabama. But moved up to Queens and, and stayed after, um, you know, after his playing days and, and passed away in Queens. I want to say it was like 2001. Died way, way too young. So um, I'll talk, I'll make that comment about Tommy Agee, and I'll do one more. I'm going to mention John Pacella, uh, very nondescript pitcher for the Mets whose hat fell off all the time. The guy could not keep his hat on. Basically, That's after right. every pitch he threw, and I'm not exaggerating, after basically every pitch he threw, his hat would go flying off. So for a very odd reason, I'll mention Pacella. Mike, take it away. Who, who do you want to comment on? You know what? I'll continue for a second with uh, Tommy Agee as a child. You know, I didn't get to see him play as a Met. They had traded him by then. Uh, but I still fashioned myself, uh, you know, the local softball legend who played center field after Tommy Agee. And I made it my business before they tore down Shea Stadium to go to the upper deck and snap a picture of where he hit a home run into the upper deck, and they, they encircled that, they marked that section in the upper deck with Tommy Agee, number 20, with the date, if you recall. Yep. So I, I made it my business to, uh, my business to snap that picture, uh, you know, before Shea Stadium faded away. Uh, Sam. Howard Johnson is on this list. I just wanted to let you know. But if I had to pick one more player, I have to pick Sean Green. And this is why I attended the 2006 uh, National League East clinching game against the Marlins. And Sean Green was nice enough to sign my scorebook prior to the game. I kept score, and, you know, I have a score of that game with his signature going right through it and it's framed up on my wall, and I'm looking at it now. So if you're listening, Sean Green, thank you, thank you very kindly. Nice. All right, so, Sam, Howard Johnson's on here. Moving into the more current era, um, Anthony Recker is on here, and Neil Walker's on here. So so give us a couple of thoughts. Anthony Recker, even though he never, uh, you know, hit much, I remember when we saw him in spring training, we were – really giddy about the fact that there was some power being put back into the uh, the, the lineup for catching. Um, that's what I remember about, about him, and we actually mentioned it on this uh, podcast about Anthony Recker. And you know what? It was the first time we had seen him, and to his credit, he, he, had, uh, he had a little pop for a 200 uh, backup catching batting average. So I'll take it. Anthony Recker was uh, kind of fun to have on that team. Um and, and Howard Johnson, I will say that my friend Owen, he hasn't been on this podcast, but he's been on my Bedford and Sullivan Brooklyn Dodgers Project podcast, uh, a shameless plug. But uh, he told a story about how he once uh, was playing with a uh, paper airplane at Shea, 
and it made its way all the way down to the foot of Howard Johnson at at third base, who picked it up, looked at it weirdly, and threw it and threw it onto the side of the field. And so that's my that's my number twenty. And uh, on behalf of Owen, I tell that story. That is awesome. There's nothing nothing but awesome in there. So okay, guys, last word. Um, and you know, one thing we talked about was having this show concluded by the time the Giants started. I'm sure a lot of our our listeners would like to watch Giants, and Giants are going to start in about a couple minutes here, so it's perfect. So, Sam, let's go to you first. Last word for episode number 20 of the Metsian podcast. Showing his age, for better or worse, Jeff Wilpon, has anybody else been thinking about how uh, many more gray hairs he seems to have, I mean, how many more wrinkles he seems to have? Uh, you know, I, I think that since we've been talking, we've been praising them a little bit lately, uh, might as well, you know, I, I watch this completely just, you know, backfire on us, but um, Wilpon, Jeff Wilpon, maybe he is coming around to being not only a better executive, but a better person based off of some other things we've heard about about uh, the, that lawsuit, if you will, that he settled with. So, you know, I think, and, and, and going to that real quickly, and this is a, I'm elaborating too much on this last word, but considering how archaic the, the things that were brought up about him uh, regarding that lawsuit and how old boys club it sounded. Maybe it's a combination of that type of behavior and completely correcting how you view living in this world, not only, uh, not only as an executive in baseball and an executive in the Mets, but, in it, but a human being in general. And so hopefully we are seeing in front of our eyes the transformation of Jeff Wilpon and some better executiving going forward. Love it. Mike, your last word. All right, Sam gets a gold star for tonight's episode. Uh, I'm going to piggyback, and I'm going to circle back and say thanks. Thanks again. I I know father and son are in disagreement over what type of executive they're going to hire, but thanks for the Jay Horowitz move. Thank you. That's it. I'm going to leave it at that. Thanks. And my last word is, um, I got to say it, guys, sad. I'm a bit sad that the season's coming to an end. Um, And I think I feel that way because they've played well. It's been fun to watch them since the All-Star break. More fun, I should say. And I always get that right around the middle of September. It's like, uh, it's coming to an end. Mets are going to go away for a while. So I'm a bit sad by that. But, um, but, you know, it's like, like in fever pitch. They always come back the next year. So, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for what I thought was a great podcast. I think we covered everything. A lot of good opinions going on, you know, on the field stuff, off the field stuff. Thank you very much. Enjoy your Sunday evening. And, Mike and Sam, what's the only thing we could say at the end of this podcast? Let's go, go Mets. There you go. All right, gentlemen, have a great night. We'll be on the air soon. Take care. Good night. Later, guys. Bye now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.